Today's scripture reading comes from three passages, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. 1 Peter 1, 13-16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in your spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourself also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Ephesians 5, 3-8 But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know for certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly of darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him ought, to, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Robert. First Sunday of the year, we're going to begin a new series that's going to take us all the way to that, uh, that first Sunday in, in uh, March, where we're going to begin a series on, on Exodus that I talked about earlier that, again, you know, I, as your minister, I, w- I would love for you to be a part of that insight seminar as we, we study in depth over a, a Saturday and a Sunday the book of the book of Exodus in preparation for the church-wide study that's going to be about uh, 16 weeks. But this morning we're going to begin a series that's entitled The Walk. And as we always do before we, we press our mind into God's Word, let's, um, let's ask God with uh, bowed heads and joined hearts to bless us through prayer uh, in our study. Father, we're grateful for this day. We're grateful for the, for the hour and the moment in which we are given time not, not to, to speed over these words that were first formed in your heart in eternity, but have come to us through your Spirit and through the pens of men. We're grateful that, that these words that are so precious, that we have this time to, to embrace them and to contemplate and to meditate on them, Father, in such a way that they become a part of our worldview. And not just that, but they become the words that change the way that we think and change us. Father, we're grateful for this time. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. For we more than anything else, Father, want to bring glory to you through our faith because of the great love that you have shown us through the Christ. And it's in his name that we pray and all the church said, happened to me recently, uh, and it was not the first time. In fact, it, it's happened a couple of times over the last several years. But how many of you have been driving slowly through a parking lot or maybe slowly through your neighborhood only to have, and you're thankful that you were driving kind of slowly because somebody walked out in front of you and didn't even know you were there because they were focused on their cell phone? It happens quite a bit. In fact, over the last seven years, The numbers of people who have reported to emergency rooms around the United States uh, some kind of an injury 
that was due to having a cell phone or other, some other kind of smart device in their hand, that number over the past seven years has quadrupled, believe it or not. Some examples, 24-year-old woman walked into a telephone pole while she was texting. 28-year-old man who was walking along a road walked and fell right into a ditch because he was texting somebody. 12-year-old boy who was looking at a video game when he was clipped by a pickup truck as he crossed the street. A bicyclist who was talking on his cell phone while he was riding ran into a 67-year-old pedestrian. Uh, A California man, he was talking on his cell phone. He ran into the path or onto the path uh, and and was within feet of a 400-pound brown black bear when he, uh, or a black bear, when he saw it and turned around and ran. Now, it used to be that you could take a walk to just kind of get away and to be distracted away from normal everyday living. Today, we live in a weird world because a distracted walk can be a dangerous walk. When we read the New Testament, and and not just the New Testament, really the whole Bible, from, from Genesis to the maps, there are a lot of metaphors that are given because we're talking about what is eternal and what is infinite And for those of us with finite minds, which is 100% of us here this morning, we have to be given ways, images, um, uh, concepts, metaphors to be able to understand God and God's teaching and God's presence. And so metaphors are used to help us to understand the Christian life. In Ephesians 2, we live a raised life. We've been raised with Christ. We're really alive. We're also in that same chapter seated with Christ. And all that that meant in the ancient world to be seated, all of that applies to us. Jesus used uh, the metaphor at the end of Matthew chapter 11 to say that we are yoked, but the yoke is an easy yoke when we're yoked to him. Another metaphor that is used throughout the Bible is that of walking. The Christian life, the life of a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth is a life that walks. And you know as well as I do that in biblical times, the most common way that people got around was to walk. Jesus was constantly walking, walked everywhere that he went. Nobody even knew what a Fitbit was, and nor did they need it because they got their 10,000 steps in every day. There was no hitchhiking. I mean, you had to walk everywhere you went unless you were extremely wealthy and could ride. There's one source uh, that I read this last week that said that depending on which version of the Bible you're using, there's between 200 and 300 references to somebody walking in the Bible. The first picture of somebody walking in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, it's God. And he's walking in the Garden of Eden. A couple of chapters later, as we go through those first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, walking is, is, is predominant. But this time it's Enoch and it's Noah, who are both very, very righteous men, And they're described as human beings, as individuals who walked with God in describing a deep relationship. Uh, God, after he brought the people out of Egypt, and there's the Exodus, and they've traveled to Mount Sinai. They're on their way to, to to the promised land. In Leviticus chapter 26, God says, you know, I'm going to be the kind of God that walks among his people Israel. The very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2 You have God saying that he and the priests, the ones that are going to represent him to the people and and the people to him, he is going to walk with the priests and the priests with him, beginning with the priest Levi. And so as you read the Bible and you come across these, these words, walking is one that became a metaphor for relationship. 
when you walked with somebody, it meant that there was some significant relationship involved. It also meant the choices that people made about the life they, they would live. And when you think about it, walking is, is a perfect metaphor. Because when you think literally about walking, you're thinking about getting from where you are to somewhere in the future, somewhere down the road, somewhere in, in the distance. And what path you chose to get you from here to there was incredibly important. And not only that, walking became a way of thinking about deep relationships and thinking about the kind of people that you walk with in this life, according to Proverbs, has something to do with whether or not you're going to live wisely and successfully and a blessed life or you're going to live a foolish life and a devastated life and a painful life. In the Bible, walking is about which path and it's about which person you travel through life with. Now, as we go through these lessons over the next two months, I want every, every person here to commit, and it's a very short verse, I want everyone here to commit to memory, to, into their hearts, this verse from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's very simple. Say it with me. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Paul's going to write to the church in Ephesus, and he's going to tell them, that you know, once you've contemplated, again, you've not just skated over the surface of the words of the gospel, that you, you've, you've plowed deeply into the meaning of those words and you're beginning to get your mind around the meaning, around the fact that Christ gave himself up for you, that you will become people who walk in love. And the, and the fact of the gospel, the fact of the resurrection, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, will become so significant that not only will you walk in love as he loved you and did all of this in love, but it will make you so different that you will look like a person who is walking in light in a world that is extremely dark. In other words, the gospel is going to make you beautiful in your soul. Which brings up sort of an interesting question. What is it about beauty? Why is beauty so captivating? Why is beauty so compelling? It's because we need it. Easy answer. We need it. We need beautiful music. We need beautiful art. We need beautiful literature and beautiful sunsets and beautiful mountains and beautiful, beautiful beaches. We need those things in this life that we cannot take our eyes off of. Why? Because we are surrounded. Everything around us is fallen. And just as a beautiful piece of scenery can enchant us all the way into our soul, that the beauty of the people of God when they're walking in light and they're walking in love should enchant other humans in the ordinary junctures of life. There is a, a great quote that I think about often. Uh, Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline, all the way back in 1978 in this great work, he said, the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people. You know, you think about it, we're, we're surrounded by smart people or gifted people, but the great need is for deep people. Disciples of Jesus are, in a manner of speaking, re-enchanting the world. I use the word enchant in the sense of delight. 
you know, when somebody, uh, you walk up to somebody in France and meet them for the first time, they might say, enchanté, which means delighted to meet you, to be in your presence. Disciples of Jesus, those of us who have committed our lives to the Christ, we bring in every, every juncture of life, in, in every relationship, in, in every context, we are people who bring delight and we bring fascination. We bring attractive lives and we bring a joyfulness to humans who are hungry for something that transcends the fallenness that is all around us in this world and in the people we encounter every day. Think about the ministry of Jesus and those three years where his life was utterly public. His life intersecting with people all up and down the, the, the ancient Near East. When Jesus spoke and when he taught, he, he brought words that created amazement in the people who heard them. In fact, in Mark chapter 12, it says those very words, that when they heard his words, they heard them with delight. That what he said was winsome to people whose souls were running on empty. His interpretation of scriptures and how he made them applicable to life, not only his where they could see it, but teaching where all of that came from amazed everyone. The miracles that he did showed that his power was benevolent and that was for the good of people. And that just absolutely amazed, amazed people who every instance of power just about that they saw as citizens of the Roman Empire was not about the good. And so they're out there in the middle of that boat, he and his disciples, they're scared to death that they're going to perish because that boat's going to be overrun by waves. And they want to know why in the world are you asleep when you should be scared to death like us. And he gets up and he speaks gently but with authority to nature. And nature just, come, that, that stormy water becomes like glass, like it had just been iced over. And they're completely amazed that what they thought was a circumstance and a situation of death and destruction for them, this power from heaven had been brought on their lives and on nature in such a way that it absolutely blessed and amazed them. The healings and the casting out of demons amazed people. There was something so enchanting about his interaction with every kind of person that even this prostitute that, that we're told that everyone in the town knew that she was an immoral woman, that even, in, I don't know what the backstory is there, but there was some encounter with her, this prostitute, that she would cross the threshold into a room full of Pharisees just to be near him. And she couldn't be near him without crying. And as somebody was amazed and enchanted by him, what better use could you have with your tears and your long hair than to wash his feet and dry his feet with your hair? And even a salty old centurion was amazed at his death. And there was something about the way that Jesus died that caused him to say, yes, this man was certainly the Son of God. The big question that we want to ask this morning is how do we walk through and end this, in this world like the Christ? And that's really what this series is going to be about. That's why we call it Walk. But it begins, believe it or not, with the words or the word holiness. Holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But just as he who called you is what? 
so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now no one really takes the word holy or you know the word sin for that matter all that very seriously. To say that someone is holy, and especially when you go, you know, he's holy, is not to take that person very seriously. In fact, it's to take that person in a sarcastic sense. It's a word that gets more associated with, with behavior. And a lot of times in the minds of people that are saying and are using obnoxious behavior, then it has to do with the true nature of an individual. And that's the tragedy. Because, number one, Christians are called to be holy like God. Not just holy for the sake of holy, but you're called to be holy like God. Let's go back to that verse, those two verses in 1 Peter 1. He who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Most of the time in popular culture, holiness is something that is characterized. It, it's something that's lampooned like, you know, the church lady, remember that? Or most people immediately go to the prohibitions. Thou shalt not do this or thou shalt not do that. Usually it's something that they really want to do or they consider to be absolutely fun and you know, a, a lot of pleasure. And so the thou shalt not become the, you know, the definition of God becoming this cosmic killjoy. And yet Peter describes the Christian life right before this call to holiness as, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I don't know about you, but in 2018, I could use a little bit more of the inexpressible, glorious joy. How about you? I would argue that there is more to holiness than what our culture around us thinks. When you think about uh, the, the, the word um, in Hebrew, it means to be separate or to be set apart. Which when we say that God is holy, it, it means that there is nothing, there is no one that is like him. There are absolutely no categories that you can put God in. In fact, God is so unique, all the categories fit into him and still do not complete the picture of who God is. God is unique in the literal sense of that word, what God was when he created the heavens and the earth is what God is today after the fall. You'll remember the story of, of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. There's this, this young woman who had been trying to have a baby for a long time. And the Lord is going to bless her with one. And she says that there is no one holy in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She says there's no one holy like God. Because only someone completely different from anything else I know could do what he's done. There's no one holy like the Lord. There is no one like you. And when dis disciples of Jesus are called to become holy as God is holy, it, it means more than morality. It means the morality, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But it means more than that. It means to live life on God's term and to become like God in all things. To be holy as God is holy means to, as, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we follow God's example. The life of God is seen in the life of His children. Now you, can, you can look at, at Jessica 
And you can look at uh, Jordan, my, my children, and you can get some kind of idea of what I'm like. Not a complete picture, but you get an idea. We follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. To become holy as God is holy is not merely to be devoid of, of everything that's ugly and sinister in the world, but also to be filled with love. Because God is what, church? God is love. And to be filled with that shalom kind of peace. And to be filled with forgiveness. And to be seen as, as, as people of patience. And people of mercy. And people of generosity. And people who give. Because God is a giver. And to be just. And to be just in a world where there is injustice. To be holy means that our lives are rooted somewhere different. It means to live in the world, but to not be of the world. Now just as a reminder, to be holy, and I call to be holy, doesn't mean that all of us are going to begin to live these perfect lives. Human beings are not perfect. There's no one, beginning with the guy standing in my boots right now, is perfect. None of us are. We all make mistakes. I mean, it's only the seventh day. We haven't even completed a week in 2018 in the new year. And how many of us are regretting something that we said or something that we did or something that we thought? We all are. We all make mistakes. But where your heart is headed is what makes your identity as a person. And that, my friends, is why Jesus said, where your heart is, that's where your what? Treasure is. And so that means that not only are we to be holy like God, but as a striving after that same nature and character, holy people view life differently. We do. In verse 14, Peter says of 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You know, seeing God in all of his holiness is going to make us see the world differently. And this is why holiness also requires that obedience as part of what it means to be a child of God, to be a son of God or a daughter of God. The commands that we, are, we have received are not about doing them in such a way that it gains us some degree of merit that gets us into heaven. That's what, they're not that at all. They're not that at all. The people of God are saved by his grace. But the commands are about cultivating a new hunger and a new desire in our life. To be able to look at the commands of God and see them through that holiness in such a different way, they would say, absolutely, who in their right mind would think about living another way? God is reforming our hearts and our souls through the practice of these commands in order to respond to the challenges of our life, to our call to be holy. And so why do we not kill? That's a command. Why are we told not to kill and not even to hate somebody or be angry with them? Because God is love. Why are we told that you in no way are to objectify a woman or objectify a, a male through sexual immorality, to gratify yourself. Because God is love. 
Not the kind of love that says, I love you to this point and no further, or I love you for what I can get out of you, but it is a love that says, I'm not in it for myself, but in it for you. Why does greed and avarice not hang well on a disciple of Jesus? I mean, what is it that really makes Scrooge ugly? It's his greed and his miserliness, his inability to be generous. Why does that not hang well on a disciple of Jesus? Because every one of us who call on the name of Christ and consider us to be his child are only so because he is generous and giving even to the point of giving his only begotten son. I mean, you can be moral for a lot of reasons. You can be moral for a lot of reasons. You don't cheat on your taxes because you don't want to get caught and punished by the IRS. You don't lie on your expense report because you don't want to lose your job or get demoted. You can serve the poor because it looks good on your resume trying to get into college or trying to get into a job. Or you can serve the poor because it makes you feel good. It's about yourself. You can even go to church every Sunday because you don't want to go to hell. But that doesn't mean you're holy. To be holy means that you belong to God. And you live life on His terms. I belong to Ellen these 37 years coming up in August. Man, one of us in this marriage is getting old. And it's the one with the beard, I think. I, I belong to Ellen. I belong to Ellen. And the impact of her love on my life is so great that I choose to live a different kind of life. I am set apart from every other female on the planet because of her. I belong to her. That's the vow. I love her. And I want to live a different life. Like going back to what I said earlier, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But the source, the source for that life with her is not what I get out of it. It's her. And the source of all of our actions as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, as children of God, the source of our actions is God Himself. And the life we are called to live is not about getting to heaven. The life that we are called to live is about getting heaven inside of us. And so, and and I'll close with this. Not only are we called, Christians are called to be holy like God, and not only do holy people view life differently, but that holy life is a public life. It's a public life. I'll end with this quote uh, from Dallas Willard. The end of the spirit of the disciplines, he says, nothing less than life in the steps of Christ. There's the metaphor of walking. Nothing less than life in the steps of Christ is adequate to the human soul or the needs of the world. You know, the world doesn't need more intelligent people. The world doesn't need more gifted people. The world needs more people who are holy in the biblical sense of the word. You know, it's going to be abused. It's going to be used 
in, in ways that are going to, to make us cringe a little bit and curl our toes. But the bottom line is that as God is holy, we are holy. And that nature of God becomes our nature. And it's not just about being devoid of all of the ugliness and all of the sinister things that, that populate the, the earth in its present fallen form. But it's about being a people who are able to walk in love and are able to walk in light and, are, and, and, and to be the kind of people that if, if our church ceased to exist in San Antonio, Texas, on Sunday, it would be missed on Monday. To, to be the, the kind of, of church that, that people cannot take their eyes off of it, even if they don't understand or even at that very moment agree with what it is that we believe to be the foundational truth, not just of our life but of all of creation, even if they don't believe it in that moment, they can't take their eyes off of the beauty and the light and the love and the shalom and all of those things. Because there were people who said, I'm not afraid to be holy. And I hear the call of God in my life to live that kind of a life. We, we have this mission statement for our church. It says, we love God, we love people, and we change the world. And, you know, people will say things like, I love God and, you know, I love people, but how in the world are we supposed to change the world? Well, when you love God in the right way, you love God for God's sake, then you become the kind of person that's not into life for themselves. But like God, you're able to love people. Loving God enables you to love people in the right way. And you know what happens when you love people? When you get a, a bunch of folk together who say that Jesus is their model and that God is their Father and that they walk by the Spirit, which we'll talk about next week, and that the Word of God is what drives them and, and what they press their mind into, you get people then who are able to love people in such a way that it begins to change the world. And that's what we're called to do. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. And at the beginning of 2018, if there are some things in your life that you just need to change and you want the prayers of the church to help you with that, or if this is the moment in which you become that child, and not just a child, but a holy person being transformed, being changed, being rebuilt, retooled, converted out of darkness into light, out of everything that love is not into everything that love is, then we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as all of us stand together and praise God in song. Let's stand and sing. Lord, let your light, light of your 